everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Everyone say, I love. You map. Here we go. This is going to be fun for all of us today. And we're going to have a, we're going to have a good time with, with all of this. Okay, so I, uh, I love my wife's butt, and I... And I I will say, I know you shouldn't start a sermon out that way, um, but I will say, I, I love my wife, but there's some things that we just don't necessarily agree on, and if you agree with 100% with your spouse, then, then you're crazy, and maybe a murderer, and I don't want to have anything to do with you, but me and my wife, we, we, don't, we agree on a lot of things. Like, 99% of the things in our life, we, we agree on. Like, one of the big things is that we both think, I'm incredibly handsome. Like, we agree 100% on that, we, we, we agree that I am in some capacity maybe uh, the healthiest and the most fit man you've ever seen in your life. We agree on, on that. Now everyone else in this room would understand that we don't agree on that at all. But in this room, she at least makes me feel, feel better about myself. But one thing that we will always fight about, one thing that we don't get along on, one thing that we always kind of butt heads on is, is what we do with Christmas time. And, and, and here's, here's what I mean. Um, we, I asked you this a couple weeks ago, but um, some of you guys had your Christmas trees up for weeks now. And, and that was kind of a, a point of contention between my wife and I because we're, we're not those people, or, or at least I'm not that kind of person. And so you can really see how she grew up and how I grew up. See, see here's the deal. If you're an Indian like I am, this is, this is how it works. Like you get, in, you get a Christmas tree, you put that Christmas tree up on December 24th, all right, at 9 p.m. That's, that's, how, that's how that works. And then it comes down around July 16th of the next year. Like that's, that's the flow of Indians, okay? That's what we that's what we do okay my wife she set the Christmas tree up on Halloween all right she had that bad boy up and, and just 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 an FYI Halloween you know that's the witch's holiday that's the devil's holiday it's not Jesus's holiday all right so we don't want that I don't need that I come home on Halloween there's a Christmas tree up she's drinking hot cocoa and she's watching elf okay this is this is, you can't drink hot cocoa when it's 98 degrees outside and yet that's what she that's what she did. And so we just argue about when the Christmas tree should go up and when the decorations should go up. And so, and, and it, just to be honest with you, one of the things that I am just, I'm gonna tell you, I am the man of my house. And, and I will put my foot. Oh, we're gonna have fun today now. I have a whole different sermon about disrespect. Um, But I will put my foot down about a couple things, all right? I'll put my foot down about a couple different things. And, and here's where, like, I'll, she can set everything up. She can do what she wants to do. She can do that. But there's one thing that we will never do in my household. There's one thing we will never do, and, and, and that is we will not entertain the idea even of watching any Christmas Lifetime movies, all right? That will not happen in my household, I, uh, the Bible tells us that choose ye this day who you will serve. <laughs> Me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will not watch those junk movies. Not because necessarily they're the worst movies in history. They are. But just because they're just so, so stupid, right? I was, I was reading about Lifetime movies. Don't know why, but I was reading about Lifetime movies movies and, and, and it's all kind of right up in front of you. Like I was reading about one that the plot is a woman falls in love with a man that's been hiding in her attic for years, okay? That's criminal charges right there. 
and yet she has fallen in love with this, this man. I, I read a story about a woman who she was at the airport and she, she took someone else's luggage on accident and so the person's luggage that she took, she went and kidnapped her kids as revenge. That's a lifetime movie. That's, that's, in, that's insanity, right? That's not, those aren't right. Like the lifetime movies, they give away everything in the title. Like I watched one today, or I watched one. I did not watch one, I promise you that. <laughs> I read about one. I read about one that was called Baby for Sale, all right? Like, that's right on the nose. You know what that one is. There's one called Newlywed and Dead. That's, that's right there. You, you can kind of pick out what the plot of that, what that looks like. And when I think about these Lifetime movies, I sit there and think how insane it is for these people that write these. But also, on top of that, who's playing these roles? Who's saying, hey, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to be this big, famous actor. But I'm going to play in the Newlywed and Dead movie. Like, who, who, are, who are these who are these people? Who signs up to do this? And this is my very, very crude way of transitioning into a sermon that's about you and I have our part to play in the life of Jesus. That's horrible, but I didn't know what else to give you. You, you and I, we have our part to play in what God's called us to do in the world all around us. And as we move into this Christmas season, as we move into this time where everything just gets hectic and moves forward and we go to all the stuffy Christmas parties and we go put on the sweaters and we do all that kind of stuff, it just feels like over the last couple of years, and maybe it's always been this way, but it just feels like we're always just rapidly moving, going, going, going. And yet the history of the churches around this season of life, around Christmas time, is really a time that most Christians for many years would slow everything down because the Christmas season is about the arrival of Christ. If you remember how the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, how it ends, it talks about the fact that it was these years of darkness that the Lord didn't speak for years and years and years. After Malachi, you didn't hear from God. And so the Jewish people, they were waiting in anticipation for this coming Messiah that was gonna come into the world. They were waiting in agony. They were waiting for something to happen. They were, they were sitting in this season of pause. And they didn't know what to do. And so everything slowed down in the Christmas season. And for us, even here, like I said, we, we go faster and faster and faster, but what if this year was more about us slowing down a little bit and realizing that it's not, and I know we hear this all the time, it's not about all the presence, it's not about all the lights, but it's about who he is and what he did for us. What, what if we actually took that in? For some of us, we, we might celebrate like the Advent holidays, right? That starts even here today and the idea of just slowing down, waiting on the arrival of the coming Messiah, which is, by the way, where we are if you're a Christian today. We're waiting on the arrival of the Messiah to come back and take his church back with him. And so what if it was more about slowing down and just kind of taking in the moments of what this story about Jesus really is? Not about the Christmas story, the movies, not about all the different kind of Christmas movies or lifetime Christmas. What if we really honed in and focused on the fact that we had the only begotten son of God come down from a throne through a virgin and lived a sinless, perfect life for you and for me. And that went and died on a cross for you and for me that he would one day go to that throne, but one day return back to us. What if, what if that was the point of this season? But if that's the point of the season, there also is a part for us to play in this as well. That you and I, we have a part in all of this. If anything else, it should remind you that Jesus has handed us the baton for this season of life that we're in. And that God's called us to do some incredible things with the life that we have here today. Amen? 
And so I'm going to read a story, and this is not a Christmas story by any stretch, but it does relate back to, as I was praying and thinking about our time together, I remember in the book of Acts, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I'm sitting there thinking about that verse and thinking about our time here together. And I'm just going to read you a story. And it's a parable that Jesus gave, a parable that we all know. Um, but it's one of the most popular and famous ones. But sometimes I think it gets a little misinterpreted. Um, and I think it has something to say to us today. So if you're still with me, we're going to Luke chapter 10, and I'm just going to read you some verses. Everyone good? Yep. Here we go. Luke chapter 10, this is Jesus talking. Uh, this is Jesus' story. He says, then a religious scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. It's a religious lawyer that stood up and had a question for Jesus. Teacher, what do we need to do to get eternal Life. What do I need to do to find eternal life? And he answered, well, what's written in the God's law? How do you interpret this? This is a lawyer, a religious lawyer, a Jewish man, religious lawyer saying, hey, how do I get eternal life? By the way, that is the number one question you could ask yourself. That's the, the penultimate question of our life. God, how do I get eternal life? That's a good question, by the way, because all of us, it reminds us that we're not just this fleshly body, but we're spirit and that we're soul and that our life lives on for eternity. And it lives on for eternity in one of two different places. And that God's calling, the reason you're here today is to remind you that this isn't our home, that this is the gathering of God's people, but this isn't the end, that there's a faraway home that we get to go to. And he says, he says, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus returns to him and says, well, what does the law say? You're, you know what the law says. To, what does it say? It says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, well, that's a, that's a good answer. You know, you know the answer to that then. And then I love in verse 28, he says, do this and you'll live. Verse 29 says, looking for a loophole. The lawyer looking for a loophole asked, how do you define who my neighbor is? Again, this is one of the most popular parables of all time. And Jesus goes on to tell him a story. By the way, one of the famous things about Jesus, he never answers a question. He, you might ask the question, but he gives you a whole meaning around the question. I, I, I love that about Jesus because he wants us to think. And so he goes into this parable. Uh, verse 30, it says like this, Jesus answered him by telling him a story. There once was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. By the way, Jerusalem, Jericho, long distance. All right, that's, that's, there's a big distance between those two places. And on the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, they beat him up, and they went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up, and he, was avoid, and he avoided the injured man. In 33, verse 35, it says, A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. I remember hearing about this story. I've, uh, who's, who's heard this story in the room that you guys know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so only the Christians here. Um, that's great. I remember hearing this story. By the way, it's after Thanksgiving. I was fat before Thanksgiving, but I'm real fat now, so I'm going to be sweating a lot. I hope you're ready for what's about to happen all morning, all morning long. The story is the story of the Good Samaritan. 
And I remember hearing the story and sitting there thinking, I grew up in, in a Sunday school that would teach you that you, we need to go and be the good Samaritan wherever we go. We need to go and be the good Samaritan in all things that we do. And I think one of the scariest parts about church is sometimes we say that we believe that we're saved by our faith, but a lot of times we default back into work. So when we read this story, we sit there and think, well, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I've gotta do this. And, and we get overwhelmed with the Christian walk because maybe we feel like there's so much stuff to do that we don't know how to even where to start on it. And that's not really the point of this story. I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to get at. Jesus is telling a story, and there's about five characters in this story. And all five of these characters play a part in this story. Just like you and I, we play our part. There's five characters in this story that play their part. And I just want to read through those characters. And so number one, if you, if, you, if you want to take notes, the first one is the first people are really the robbers. The robbers in the story. It says, there was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, they beat him up, and they went off, leaving him half dead. The robbers in this story represent sin and death. It represents the devil. It represents all the things that are against God's order. If you remember in John chapter 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I love telling young people this, but I think everyone should hear this. If you don't have a plan for your life, the devil has a plan for your life. If you don't know where you're going, the devil knows what he wants to do with your life. If you're not living a life of intentionality towards Christ, then the devil has a plan for your life. He has your life mapped out and he wants to steal things from you and he wants to destroy you. The devil, one of the plans that the devil has for your life is he wants you to doubt who God is. He wants you to doubt God in everything you have. Some of us in this room, we, we, we have problems with our faith because we doubt God. That's what he wants. You're playing into the devil's hands. We, we let our circumstances and all the things around us determine our view of God. Just a life hack for some of you today. Don't let your circumstances determine your view of God. Let God determine your circumstances. That, that's, how God, that's how God handles us. He, he looks at the whole thing. Do you understand that God speaks the end from the beginning because he stands outside of time? That, that God's not mad at you today because you had a really, really bad 2002. God's not mad at you because you haven't read your Bible in three or four weeks. God stands outside of time. Time is a man-made construct. God stands outside of that. He sees who you were. He sees where you're going. And he already knows where you're ending up. He knows it all. So he's bringing everything in for your good. And, and so in all of this, the robbers are the, it represents sin and death and hell. And he's kind of taking us and trying to show us that this person is walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and the devil just takes them out, beats them up, drops them on the ground. The robber wants to take from you. The devil wants to steal from you. He also wants you to fear everything else around you. He wants you to be afraid of everything. And by the way, I think a lot of us, we have this idea that the devil is all about just getting us to doubt God and have no faith in God. I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. I think the devil wants you to have faith. I just think he wants you to have faith in other things that are not God. What good is a Christian if all they're gonna do is come to church on a Sunday morning, sit in those chairs, and then that's it? They're not gonna live their life out into their workplace. They're not gonna live the Christian life out into wherever they're going. They're gonna just do what they have to do. The bare minimum that God's called us to do, they're gonna do that. That's what the devil wants for us, not to play our part, but to just do the minimum. Oh, I prayed a prayer and I'm good to go. That's, that's not God's call in our life. And so the devil doesn't, he doesn't want you, he wants you to be afraid of everything around you. 
The second person in this story is really uh, the man that was hurting. I I say the the hurting person. I love this story because it says the man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. From Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a long distance. It's a big, far uh, way. It kind of reminds us of what Christmas is going to look like, right? That all of us, when it comes into the Christmas season, we're going to be moving and traveling and going from place to place to place. This is what this man was doing. The broken, hurting man. He was going from one place to another. That's all of our life, that we're going from one place to another. And as he's on his journey, something ends up happening. The robbers come out, they beat him up, they steal everything from him, they leave him lying there. Is that not a story of our life, by the way? That God's put us on a journey, that when you were born, maybe you had these dreams and aspirations of what you wanted your life to look like. You had this idea of where you were going to go, but five, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, you didn't get into that spot. Something else got in there. Maybe the devil got in the mix of it all. Maybe you got into a gambling addiction or maybe you got into a drug addiction or maybe, maybe you just got into some bad relationships. I, I don't know what it is, but this is a story of you and I, that we are broken people, that we're just on our way from this life to the next life. And then the devil interferes and takes us and beats us and drops us to the ground. This is a story of the lost world around us. This is a story of you and me, that, that we're the person. We're not the Samaritan. We're the person who's been beaten up by life. Anyone ever felt like you're beaten up by life? You ever felt like, like maybe it wasn't just fair what happened to you? By the way, that is life. Life isn't fair. The Bible tells us that. The Bible shows us that that we live in a world that is subject to futility, as Romans 8, as Romans 8, chapter, Romans 8 says to us, that this world is subject to futility, that everything that we put our hands to, as much as we want it to work at one point, it's gonna fall apart. Again, the reminder that it's not our home, that there's still a curse on the world around us until Jesus makes his way back. The hurting person is a story of you and I. I love how, I love how the Bible, how Jesus says this. He says they left him there half dead. This might shock you, but I'm not a doctor, okay? And so what, what you need to hear there is, I, I, I don't have the right expertise to tell you a, a medical um, a scenario, but I don't know anyone who's been half dead. I don't even know what that, what that means. But he says he's half dead. And I think the wording there is important because for some of us, maybe even in this room today, some of us, we live this life of smiles and joy and happiness, but on the inside, we're completely dead. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 13, he's talking to the religious people and he says, you are like whitewashed tombs that on the outside you look perfect, but on the inside you're rotting to death. Remember when he said you loved me? That's, that's the story of a lot of our lives that we have this idea that if we just come to church, if we just sing a couple songs, if we just give our tithe in, if we just do a few of these things, then, then we are spiritual superheroes, and yet that's not what God says at all. It all comes from the heart. Is your heart inclined to Christ? Is your heart every day of your life inclined to say, Jesus, what would you have for me here today? Because we all know that there are people who can appear religious, but on the inside be wicked. Let's all get out. The broken, the hurting person, that's, that's you and I. That's you and I. Do you wanna know, by the way, this is for free. Do you want to know when you really started to sanctify and grow up a little bit in Christ? When you realize that sometimes you're the robber as well. That was for free. I won't let you have any more of that. <laughs> Number three, next person in this story is the religious. The religious. So we have a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho on his way, doing his thing. 
He gets beaten up by a bunch of robbers. These robbers represent the devil. And then what ends up happening? You have a priest that shows up, a priest of God. It says, luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road. I love that he said luckily there. Jesus is just poking. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side, and then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. Both of these guys are probably coming back from the synagogue. Both of these guys are probably just got out of a church service, and things were really good, and they were really excited about it. They sang all the right songs. They did all the right sermons. They were out of here by 12 o'clock, so you guys could go beat the Pentecostals. I get that. They did all of that thing, and they, they were on their way. They're on their way home, and they see this guy that's broken, beaten, and the priest, the priest of God, he sees this person laying on the ground. What does he do? Sees him, and he crosses to the other side of the road as to not have to deal with him. In this room, we'd say, that's not us. We can't be that person. They're the righteous person. He's trying to make a point to him that all your Bible reading and all your worship music and all your good tithing, if that's all you do, the Bible tells us that all of your works, they're like a clanging symbol if there's no love behind your life. The Levite, so you have a priest, a priest of God, crosses the street to the other way. The Levite, he represents really those who grew up in a religious household. Those who believe that because my parents were saved, then I'm saved. That because my parents went to church, because they believe the Bible, then I'm saved. That if I die today, I'm going to heaven because my parents' religion that's what the Levite represents. And what did the Levite do? Walked around him. He saw him and he walked around him to remind us that your mom and your dad that love Jesus cannot save you. That it's not about them. We have a personal relationship with the Lord. That the only thing that can save you is you bending your knee to Christ. You personally giving your life over to Jesus. And by the way, this one's for free as well. If he isn't the Lord of all of your life, he's not the Lord of your life at all. And so we have to look into our hearts and say, what, what are those things, what are those areas that I'm holding back from, God? What are those areas in my life that I'm saying, God, you can't have this. You have all this, but Lord, this isn't, this isn't for me. Religion will always pass you by. The righteous, these people, they will always pass you by. They'll always go past it. This is why we have serve days, and this is why we have these days where, where, where Steve McLaurin goes out with the homeless ministry and he wants to go and help people. And this is why there's so many of us, and I'm not shaming anyone in this room. This is the first service people, right? This is why, this is why those people, they don't show up because, man, they wanna come and sit in the chairs and I don't wanna do anything else. I just wanna come and sit and be a spectator. God's not called you to be that. God's called you to play your part in what God's kingdom is. And if that frustrates you, I'm sorry, but the truth of the matter is there is nothing in your life that's more important than God's kingdom and what he's trying to do in this world around us. And the Bible tells us that his kingdom will advance. And if we're not advancing the kingdom, what are we doing? Hillspring, we wanna advance this kingdom. And by the way, not the kingdom of Hillspring, I could care less. We wanna advance God's kingdom. We wanna see a room full of teenagers with their hands in the air, worshiping God, believing that God has something new for them, that they're not gonna live the way they've always lived. That's what we want to see. Religion looks at the people that are broken and hurting on the ground and say, well, what did they do? They deserved it. Wait a second, what, what the, we, we've heard about those people Christianity, the righteousness of God realizes that you and I, we are those people. 
that I don't care who you are, the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That at the cross, at the foot of the cross, it's level. You can have so many more verses of the Bible memorized than I do. And yet at the end of the day, all we have is the shed blood of Jesus that gives us our righteousness. All we are sinners saved by grace. Amen? Everyone still with me? Charles Moore told me he needed to get out of here by noon because he had to go to Ulta. So I don't know what that's about. Next character here is the Samaritan. Next character here is the Samaritan. Samaritan traveling the road came on him when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. That's where the story gets so good. I love that Jesus pokes at people. The Jewish man and a Samaritan, if you know anything about that, you understand that these were two people who would not have any kind of friendship or relationship. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. They could not stand each other. It would be, they would not eat with each other. If a Samaritan was in a room that a Jewish person walked into, they would leave that room. They did not want to have anything to do with the Samaritan. And he says, there's a broken person hurting on the ground. The priest walked by. The Levite walked, walked by. But a Samaritan, and I almost feel like in that crowd, they're like, please don't let the Samaritan be this person. Like, not, not anyone, but, anyone but the Samaritan. The Samaritan walks up. Look at the verses. Doesn't ask any questions. Just starts working. Starts bandaging up. Starts healing him. This broken down traveler that was hurting and lost, who hit all this misfortune, being tended to by a Samaritan. So again, the robber, the devil, the broken person, you and I, the lost world around us, the righteous, the Levites, the priests, the religious, the Samaritan, kind of reminds me of somebody else. Somebody who in a Christmas season we would remember came from a faraway land who was rejected by the ones he came to love. The Bible tells us, Jesus, as he's telling the story, says that he lifts the man up, puts him on his donkey, which means, by the way, that he had to get off of his donkey and pick the man up and put him in the place where he was supposed to be at. It reminds me of the verse where Jesus said, or the verse in Colossians, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. A Samaritan those that were rejected, the ones that the world said, we don't want anything to do with you, was the hero of this story. The Samaritan's not you and I. The Samaritan's a picture of Jesus. That he would come from a faraway land. He would lift us up. And he'd take us, bandage us up and heal us. So we all have a part to play. Where are we in this story? The lost world, that, that might be, for some of us in the room, that might be some of you. And maybe you don't know who Jesus is, so you, 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 you sit in that spot. But for those of us who've been saved, where, where do we stand? I'm gonna keep reading the story. The Bible says, he lifted him onto his donkey, he led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, 
Take good care of them. If it costs any more, put it on my bill and I'll pay you on my way back. You and I, this church, that's, we're the end. We're the end keepers. We're the ones who are supposed to take in those who are hurting, those who are broken. We're supposed to be the ones who, who go and look at this Lucille Page and, and this Kirkwoods community over here of people who are living on fixed incomes, who are hurting, who are going through tough times, who are lonely a lot of the times, and say, hey, those are, those are my people. The Bible says that true religion takes care of the widows and the orphans. Those are, those are, those are my people. In that day and age, in the age of antiquity, an inn, by the way, in Jerusalem to Jericho, he's kind of making this point. An inn was always kind of placed in a spot where it got really, really dark. So that when the lights were on and they're traveling at night, they would go to that inn and spend their money. That was the idea. So there's this inn that's right here that's in the middle of the dark area. It reminds me of the verse in Luke chapter eight, or yeah, in Luke eight, where he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that they may see the light. You and I were called to show the light to everyone around us. And I know that sounds so simple, but in a Christmas season, isn't that who we should be? Should we not be the people who are the innkeepers? They're taking people in no matter what, that are looking for those who are broken and hurting. This is a picture of us as a church, that we're gonna go into the darkness, that it doesn't matter what the culture says, it doesn't matter how bleak it looks, if God's on our side, we can make it. We'll run into the dark, hurting, World, And so let me just finish it with this. What does all this mean for us here today? Really just two things I have for us and, and we'll be done. Uh, I already kind of said it, but we run towards the hurt, not away from it. We run towards the hurt and not away from it. Gone are the days. He'll spring. Can we just let go of those days where we just come and be the holy huddle? that we just come here on Sunday morning, we read our Bible, and then we go home and we do nothing else in the world around us. Can we quit being those people? Can we truly believe that what God did in the book of Acts, where he expanded his church out, that can be today? That we live in this area between when he's coming back, when he, came, when he left and when he's coming back, and there's something we can do here. Can you believe that in your neighborhood, I don't care about anything else, but let's talk about your neighborhood. Can we believe that God wants you, you to do something with your neighbors? Can we believe that as a teenager, when whatever school you're in, that God can use you to be a light, that just one conversation could change somebody's life completely. We're as a church, and this might frustrate some of you, by the way, this really might frustrate you, but we as a church, we're gonna run into the darkness no matter what happens. We're gonna run into the darkness. The Bible says flee from every appearance of evil. There's a context to that. And I think as Christians, sometimes we take that verse and we try to make it as a protection clause for us. No, Jesus ran into the darkness. And so you and I, we're gonna run into the darkness. This is why we need some of you guys to get up and serve. This is why we need some of you guys to not just sit in church, but to come and participate in the church. This is why I believe so much in a Wednesday night service where we have amped kids in the back worshiping and praising Jesus. We have kids in this room that are broken and hurting because by the way, I have a great number of youth workers that love these teenagers that are running into the darkness every single Wednesday night, believing that just one word from God, believing that just one phrase from God could change everything in their life because it happened to me. And so if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody else. This is the darkness that we run into. 
in your workplace. It's the darkness that you run into. You're called to be a leader everywhere you are. You're called to be a leader. I get it, Matt, you work in the church. Well, I'm not sure Will's saved. And so that's where I'm running into. Just kidding. We run towards the darkness. And here's the next part, and we'll finish it here. We care about people without any strings attached. Samaritan walks up to the innkeeper, gives him two denarii, he says, take care of them. The innkeeper didn't say, well, what did he do? No, take care of him. Do you understand that he's living? Like, do you understand what he's done? Take care of him. You understand that he's been married before? Take care of him. Do you you understand that they do drugs? Take care of him. Do you you understand all the things? Do you see what they've done before? They kind of deserve what happened to him. Jesus says, take care of him. Take care of him. Do you understand that when he walked up there and he started bandaging him up, he didn't say, hey, what did you do? Why are you walking down this road? What's your problem? He didn't say that at all. He took care of him. He bandaged him up and he helped him get to the end. He helped him get to us. He helped him get to the church. He helped him get to a place of healing and a place of mercy. And that's who we're called to be. Can I tell you, you have every bit of permission to care for every single person in your world. I don't care what their sexual orientation is. I don't care what they believe about gender. I don't care if they're liberal. I don't care if they're Republican. God calls us to care without any strings attached. There's no strings attached to God's love for you. And so he calls us to love others the same exact way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-serving. Love is constantly hoping. In the end, there's only one thing that lasts. It's not hope. It's love. God gives us the permission to care for those around us. Well, it might look like we're condoning their activity. Let it look like that. Let God sort that out in the end. Well, they might be ripping me off. I know, I know what the homeless do. They, they're, they're ripping. Let God sort that out. God calls us to go and be the workers. God calls us to go and do the work. Who are we to judge? We're the broken laying person. You have every bit of permission to go care for those around you with no strings attached. And so I'm gonna finish it here. This is gonna be shocking to you too. But I was a quarterback of a football team for a while. The Salvation Army. It was second grade. But I was. I'll, I'll sign autographs later. And in that, I remember the coach told me, hey, when you're throwing, you got to step into it. You got to step into it. Hill Spring, here's all I'm asking you to do. Step into it. Step into the life that God has for you. Step into the role that you have to play. Step into what God wants for you. Step into the things that God has for you. Step into the places where you don't feel like you're qualified because God doesn't care about that. Step into the areas and the spaces in which no one else will step into. Go to those places that people are broken and no one wants to talk to them. Go into those places and go and be a hope for those people. Go and show Jesus in every single way. It's why we go to Arizona every single year because we wanna go show hope to people because we believe that our hope is not us, but our hope is in Jesus. And so you wanna show Jesus the best way you can this Christmas season, this season, then show Jesus 
in everything that you do with hope, hope. Hill Spring, all I'm gonna ask you to do today, you have a part to play, step into it. There's still a bunch of Christmas tree things out there. Go get them, step into this. Sign up to serve on a team. And this wasn't the point of this, to get you to serve and go spend a bunch. I don't care about that. Step into the, God, the ministry that God's called you. Step into it because every single one of us, you have a calling on your life. And let's step into it. Amen? Let me pray. God, I love you. And Lord, I thank you for today. Thank you for letting us be here. And God, help us to step into the calling that you have for our life. God, thank you that so many years ago, you stepped into our world. And God, we eagerly and anxiously await for you to come back. But in the meantime, help us to go and make a difference. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you. It's in your name I pray. And everybody said, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.